Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen here with Life Coach Cindy Chavez. Today is Wednesday. Ah, beautiful Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. Happy Neville Day, actually. It's April 17th, 2019, and it is currently 4 p.m. in New York, 1 p.m. in Los Angeles, 9 p.m. in London and Sydney, Australia. is about 6 a.m., but wherever you are in the world, thank you for joining us for another episode of LOA Today, your daily dose of happy, and it is Neville Day. Happy Neville Day to everybody. Happy um, Neville Day. Everybody tuning in, um, most of the people who tune in for the Wednesday show know it's Neville Day, and I think uh, based on the feedback we've gotten that people look forward to it like we do. So it's exciting. It's kind of fun, and, and it's interesting. I mean, a year ago, I barely knew anything about Neville. You were definitely the, the Neville expert here, and you kind of turned me on to him. And, and then a few months later, we started doing books, and, and we've been doing it ever since. It's cool. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm enjoying stuff. it. I always something. Always something to really – get my brain going with Neville because it makes me think uh, almost more than anyone else, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I hear you. I hear you. So got my Neville book out. I'm ready to go. Um, I don't think we have any, let let me just double check, but I don't think I have any uh, live stream uh, comments that we have to address other than people saying, hello, Jamie saying hello, Jeffrey saying hello. hello, back home in Portland. Way to go, Jeffrey. Cool. So, yeah, it looks like we're we're just ready to rock. So unless you've got something, why don't we just go right to it? We can go right to it. This chapter, though, wow, the title alone, the title is called Liquid Light. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's going to be really an eye-opening chapter when we get into it, just by the looks of the beginning. Uh, Neville, this is chapter 19 from the book Your Faith is Your Fortune by Neville Goddard. We've been working our way through it. And once again, he starts with a verse from the Christian Bible and then very quickly um, starts talking about uh, a story from the Jewish Bible or what the Christians will refer to as the Old Testament. Um, Mm -hmm. So liquid light in him, we live and move and have our being. Acts 17, 28. He says, psychically, this world appears as an ocean of light containing within itself all things, including man, as pulsating bodies enveloped in liquid light. So I want to back up to the very second word that he starts with there when he says, in him we live and move and have our being. And recall that Neville, when he talks about God or when he talks about Christ, he always defines those two things as being consciousness the Christ consciousness, our imagination. Um, so when he says in him we live and move and have our being, he's speaking of consciousness, I believe. Mm-hmm. If, yes. if I right, because that's that's always his definition. So he moves past this idea of liquid light, saying the biblical story of the flood in Genesis six through eight is the state in which man lives. Man is actually inundated in an ocean of liquid light in which countless numbers of light beings move. The story (laughs) of the flood is really being enacted today. Yeah, it's like, okay, (laughs) he's really taking us out there today, out to the fringe here. Uh, He says, man is the ark containing within himself the male-female principles of every living thing. So in the same way that the the story of the flood and Noah's ark had every living thing, you know, put on the ark to survive, Neville says that we're the ark and Mm -hmm. we contain within ourselves the principles of every living thing. Right. Yep. The dove. I I want to mention before you, you go on here. I've talked before, I brought it before the question, I wonder how much Neville knew about quantum physics because it was very new at the time that he was doing his teaching, um, basically introduced by Einstein approximately 20 years before he started doing his, uh, before Neville started doing his teaching. So he probably had some awareness of it, but I've often wondered how much this chapter, the use of the words light being suggests to me he had fairly substantial understanding of it. Right. Because and he was taking quantum concepts and he was turning them into a spiritual thing. But the idea of everything being made of energy, 
that's light. And, and that's basically what I think he's, he's driving at here. And has Neville mentioned Einstein anywhere? Because I, I feel like Tom. he had, but I can't remember have. where it would have been. Okay. I don't know what I'm thinking of. So now he's talking about the dove. The dove, and he says, or idea. So you see all of these things, these physical object lessons that we start reading in stories, Neville very often will turn them into very quickly uh, a thought process or consciousness or something that we can't really put our hands on, something that's not tangible. But he says, the dove or idea, which is sent out to find dry land, is man's attempt to embody his ideas. Man's ideas resemble birds in flight, like the dove in the story, returning to man without finding a place to rest. <laughs> That's really interesting, right? That our idea goes out and it doesn't amount to anything. <laughs> it doesn't find a place to rest, so it comes back. Um, he says, if man will not let such fruitless searches discourage him, one day the bird will return with a green sprig. After assuming the consciousness of the thing desired, he will be convinced that it is so, and he will feel and know that he is that which he has consciously appropriated, even though it's not yet confirmed by his senses. One day, man will become so identified with his conception that he will know it to be himself, and he will declare, I am, I am that which I desire to be, I am that I am, I am that I am. He will find that as he does so, he will begin to embody his desire, the dove, or desire, will this time find dry land, thereby realizing the mystery of the word made flesh. Everything in the world is a crystallization of this liquid light. I am the light of the world. Your awareness of being is the liquid light of the world, which crystallizes into the conceptions you have of yourself. Your unconditioned awareness of first of being first conceived itself in liquid light, which is the initial velocity of the universe. All things, from the highest to the lowest vibrations or expressions of life, are nothing more than the different vibrations of velocities of this initial velocity, gold, silver, iron, wood, flesh, etc., are only different expressions or velocities of this one substance, liquid light. All things are crystallized liquid light. The differentiation of or infinity of expression is caused by the conceiver's desire to know himself. Your conception of yourself automatically determines the velocity necessary to express that which you have conceived yourself to be. The world is an ocean of liquid light in countless different states of crystallization. <laughs> now I've got a question for you. And I don't know, you may not have an answer. This is, this is kind of, uh, this is very much into the metaphor part of it. Liquid light. When we talk about, for instance, um, manifestation, and we talk mm-hmm. about um, how if you have resistance and blocks of resistance and so forth, it can be harder for the universe to deliver stuff to you. But if there are little gaps, the liquid can kind of find its way through. And so it's, it's, it's kind of like that's the way the manifestation works. So I can kind of get that's a similar metaphor going on there. But light has the same kind of, of capability. Light can also get in through the cracks, too. So why right. combine the concepts together? Why does it have to be both light and wick liquid? What's the point of that? The closest you know, I can come to an answer is that liquid light is very much the same concept as source energy, and it's basically everything connected to everything else. So maybe you like the idea of a liquid as a way of expressing that. That's the only thing I can think of. I I think that it's the idea, possibly. I mean, I'm just, you know, spitballing here. But right. the idea of, of liquid, for me anyway, liquid has a substance to it where light doesn't seem like it has a substance to me. And I'm wondering if maybe, because even in this last, you know, where he talks about vibrations or velocities, Mm -hmm. I was reading that thinking, oh, this is very much like what I've heard some other uh, metaphysicians teach, and that is that we're all, everything's made out of the same stuff. It just has a different frequency of vibration. 
So mm. a rock is vibrating much, much slower than a leaf. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the more dense, the more solid, the heavier it is, that has a very slow vibration. Whereas ideas and thoughts have a higher vibration because they're not tangible. And I, I feel like maybe Neville, and I don't know if it's metaphor or if he's saying that this is literal, but he's talking about liquid light because, first of all, it sounds like the descriptor of light, that it's it's liquid, it's fluid, it can mm-hmm. flow, it can go wherever, but also that it's actually got substance to it, and it can, he uses the word crystallize, it can crystallize into something that has uh, a different vibration, which we perceive as being solid. And that's what we talk about all the time. Well, I had this idea, and I started yep. working on it because I want to manifest it into reality. It's like mm-hmm. I talk about sometimes um, the idea of ink on paper. Uh, when I teach, when I coach people, also when I you know, in, teach any kind of magic, that ink on paper is the first step of bringing something from the metaphysical world, the world of hopes, dreams, wishes, ideas, thoughts, brainstorms. It's all up here very light and fluffy, but it hasn't manifested yet, bringing it into physical manifestation is to write it down. Uh, Mm -hmm. You'll look and see, even in non-magical traditions, in non-LOA stuff, in total just secular, just business coaching, whatever, people, they will, you will see statistics out there from Harvard Business School and places like that that will, that will mention the, that people that write down their goals, Right. Like they, they've done studies where they've followed people for decades and to see the ones that wrote down their goals and the ones that had goals but didn't write them down. And then the people that didn't have, you know, any specific goals and the ones that wrote them down have a much higher percentage of those goals coming to pass. So to me, it's the very first step in making something manifest is ink on paper, writing it down. Now it's physical. I can hold it in my hands, right? So I think he might be just trying to communicate that uh, crystallization into substance. I don't know. That's my idea. That's off the top of It's a good idea. I think he may be onto something there. And I would even add, it's hard, I think, for many people. I don't have any trouble with it, but a lot of people I can see would have trouble with the idea of light flowing. Particularly when you look at the way it's taught, you know, light is it, light is presented as either waves or quanta, and the idea of a flow of light doesn't really usually get included in the conversation. There's either quanta or there isn't. There's either wave because or there isn't. Because it's so fast. It's so fast. Exactly. <laughs> we think fast. of we think of something that's flowing as a little bit slower. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I think you're, I think it is metaphor, and I think you're right. I think it's because it seems more substantial to people, even though in my mind I think it's actually equally substantial. But um, yeah, I think you're right, and and it kind of makes sense because the the metaphor of water in particular and liquid, liquid stuff in general, but usually water, it it shows up all over the place. It's it's throughout literature. Liter- water as a metaphor for a variety of things that flow. You know, whether it might be a literal flow or it could be just a flow of ideas or a flow of what I mean, flow is a liquid concept. You don't really see right. it as a as a as a light concept. Even though it could be, you could certainly describe it as flow, but you never you never hear it that way. You never you never actually do see it in that way. You always see it applied to a liquid. So yeah, I think it makes well, sense. He says everything in the world is a crystallization of this liquid light. Now I've heard some very, very similar um, ideas from from physicists, right, or that say everything is made of light. Mm-hmm. He yep. says everything in the world is a crystallization of this liquid light. And so uh, to me that just sounds like the same, very close to being the same ideas, that we're all made of the same stuff. <laughs> Well, plus it also makes it easier to understand from the perspective of somebody who knows a little basic physics. I mean, there are three basic states in physics. There's the gas state, there's the liquid state, and there's the solid state. Right. Solid state is crystallization. That's that's that manifestation of the thing that we talk about. And liquid is the state just before that. There are very few elements that go directly from gas to solid. They're, they almost always pass through 
a liquid state or, or at the very minimum a very, very short liquid state in some cases. But um, it's usually – you usually have to get through liquid to get there. So people, I think, kind of associate liquid with being a lot closer to the physical than the nebulousness of light. And so – and that's what he is trying to always teach us processes and show us the process, right? Show us the, mm-hmm. the steps that, that we need to take and the steps also that we can observe – with things becoming manifest. And that's what it seems like he's doing here. Yeah. So. Jamie had an interesting approach. She said, I think, that, I think that this whole liquid light thing is a metaphor for the matrix of consciousness, continuous and flowing. I think so. Happen. Good yeah. catch. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And especially with, with Neville's teaching, the way his teachings center around consciousness is he starts talking about, you know, this ocean of light idea about mm-hmm. the world is appears as an ocean of light containing all things. And so with him starting the whole chapter within him, we live and move. We know that for him, that's consciousness. So yes. he's trying to tell us how our consciousness crystallizes into something solid. Uh, it also solid, makes sense to me. Uh, I mean, we, we want to understand how our consciousness works you know, we want to know what it's made up of. We want to understand more about how it, it seems from a physical perspective. And, and when we're trying to apply consciousness to all, because he does this all the time. Everything that he talks about is about consciousness. Like you said, right. he'll, he'll clothe it in words like God and Jesus and kingdom of God and all this other kind of stuff. But it's really all consciousness he's talking about. When, when we're trying to apply it into our lives and, and use our consciousness and so forth, we're trying to also understand the nature of it and how it works and, and how we apply it and so forth. Again, there's a great place where thinking of it as being liquid is helpful because I think early on a lot of us think of it as static, kind of stuck huh? in place, right? Yeah. It's just you have right? a conscious state, and the state is you know, that's what a state is. It's static. It's just in one place, solid, you know, yeah. frozen in time, so to speak. Whereas he's pointing out, no, consciousness, is, it flows, it's continuous, it just keeps going and going and going, and it, it, it shifts, it changes, it, you know. That's right. It, it flows. It's it mutable. It's, it's mutable. Pliable. Yes. We've talked about this before, that so many times when we're struggling with the way things are, <laughs> making those, <laughs> those air quotes, the way things are, um, we forget that change is you know, going to happen, that anything can change. I know someone was talking to me recently and they were talking about a situation that, that not about them, but with someone else that they felt it was just very, just almost impossible to change and how it takes so long. And I totally get why they were saying what they were saying, but I also know what I told them. And that is that transformation can happen in an instant. Mm. And sometimes we forget that, how quickly things can change. The next time you have a situation where something goes incredibly right, (laughs) you know, (laughs) where you want to celebrate, like, oh, my goodness, like, recognize what a big shift that was and how fast it happened. Because Mm -hmm. even things that we work for over time, when they finally shift, it's like sometimes it's just an instant and it's shifted. And I think that we can see that, we can understand that when we talk about water, when mm-hmm. we talk about flow, when we talk about those kind of shifts, because it's easy, right? right? It's right. like in nature, water takes the route of least resistance. Exactly. Well, yep. not just in nature, everywhere, even in yes. your own house, right? <laughs> so it's, it's, or, it I don't is, know about you. Really I think my house is part of nature. I mean, I, I really think of my house as being me, part of nature. Me too. But sometimes when you say nature, people automatically discount everything that's man-made or they discount us. Like we are a part of nature. We are. So I yeah. don't separate myself from the natural world either. Right. But we do, we humans do have a tendency sometimes to separate ourselves from everything, right? And that's another right. thing <laughs> that we should interesting think thing, about. Interesting thing about that too, the, the fact that we separate ourselves from everything. What we're trying to achieve there is often called objectivity, having that objective viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And what 
one of the one one of the most interesting things from my perspective of studying law of attraction. Abraham Hicks, Neville Goddard, um, Napoleon Hill, uh, Tony Robbins, even um, many of the the great teachers who have uh, given us these lessons throughout the years is that they have basically all demonstrated for me that there really is no such thing as objectivity. And quantum physics actually reinforces this. I mean, the the, the things that quantum scientists have discovered pretty much proves that there is no such thing as objectivity. You you, you can have uh, a person who looks at something and then he, he stops looking at it and it changes its state. You know, so the, right. the act of observing changes the state. I mean, right. that's like, you know, t- that, that throws objectivity out the window. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I guess my point is, we, we like to think of ourselves as objective, but we are actually part of the puzzle. We are part of the world. We're part of this crystalline liquid structure that, that Napoleon or that um, Neville is talking about. And in being part of it, I mean, this is a key part of what he talks about in terms of, of manifesting things. He talks about the importance of being part of the scene you're visualizing, climbing that ladder by imagining you're standing right at the ladder you know, putting yourself into the scene, all that kind of thing, to remind us we are not objective. We are actually part of what's going on here. Beautiful. You know? And I love yeah. the reminder that when we observe something, the, it, the state of that thing changes. Yes. Right? Because what are we saying all the time? What we focus on expands. Exactly. And exactly. it's right there. That's right there. So would you like to we, – we finished the chapter, which – Yay for yeah. us because <laughs> they're quick here. <laughs> the, this chapter and the next one are pretty short, but that's okay. We can do both of them, and and uh, we may even have room to go into the, the chapter after that. We'll see, but yeah, well, let's this, go. This chapter is called the breath of life. So we've been talking about liquid light, and now we're moving into breath, light, breath, uh, the breath of life. He begins with a verse from Genesis. He says, "Then oh, the Lord." Baby. Before you start, I just saw something that, that's actually part of the discussion we just had. Jeffrey oh, good. Posted it. I want to make sure I share it because it, it's perfect. He says, I kid you not, the success I had this past week took place in nature surrounded by and praying to with water. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I love that. And uh, it's, it's funny. I'm, I've got a big smile on my face over here because – um, I'm, I can't give details, but something that happened earlier in the day um, in some work that I'm doing um, in my manifestations over here, um, water suddenly became an element, and that was like when I got here, it was like, oh, my goodness. So lots of synchronicities going on. Yeah. Those are always fun, always fun. They certainly are. I'm so glad you shared that. That's cool. All right. So now so we the can breath, The breath of life. <laughs> yep. We start with this verse from Genesis. Uh, then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And then he's going to follow this up with some more verses uh, from the Jewish Bible and then a verse from the Christian Bible. And all of these verses have to do with breath. And so it's interesting, we were talking about light a moment ago, and now we're talking about the breath or the breath of light. So I'm just going to read all these verses in a row. As thou knowest not what it is the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who make all. Just as you don't know how the breath of life enters the limbs of a child within its mother's womb, you also don't understand how God, who made everything, works. And then, and it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick, and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him, from First Kings. And then from Second Kings, and he, Elisha, went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands, and he stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. But after the three and a half days... The breath of life from God came into them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. Now, he's using lots of different verses to talk about a story. And then he asks the question, did the prophet Elijah and or Elisha really restore to life the dead child of the widow? This story, along with all the other stories of the Bible, is a psychological drama which takes place in the consciousness of man. 
The widow symbolizes every man and woman in the world. The dead child represents the frustrated desires and ambitions of man, while the prophet Elijah and or Elisha symbolizes the God power within man or man's awareness of being. The story tells us that the prophet took the dead child from the widow's bosom and carried him into an upper room. As he entered this upper room, he closed the door behind them. Placing the child upon a bed, he breathed life into him. Returning to the mother, he gave her the child and said, Woman, thy son liveth. Man's desires can be symbolized as the dead child. The mere fact that he desires is positive proof that the thing desired is not yet a living reality in his world. He tries in every conceivable way to nurse this desire into reality, to make it live, but finds in the end that all attempts are fruitless. Most men are not aware of the existence of the infinite power within themselves as the prophet. They remain indefinitely with a dead child in their arms, not realizing that the desire is the positive indication of limitless capacities for its fulfillment. Let man once recognize that his consciousness is a prophet who breathes life into all that he's conscious of being, and he will close the door of his senses against his problem and fix his attention solely on that which he desires, knowing that by so doing, his desires are certain to be realized. He will discover recognition to be the breath of life, for he will perceive, as he consciously claims himself to be now expressing or possessing all he desires to be or to have, that he will be breathing the breath of life into his desire. The quality claimed for the desire, in a way unknown to him, will begin to move and become a living reality in his world. Yes, the prophet Elijah lives forever as man's limitless consciousness of being, the widow as his limited consciousness of being, and the child as that which he desires to be. More metaphor. And More metaphor. <laughs> he also, he, this is the first time that I... Well, he may have said this before, but this is the first time that I consciously became aware of him saying this story, along with all the other stories of the Bible, is a psychological drama. Now, I recall him saying certain stories were psychological dramas, but I think this is the first time I've seen him say all stories in the Bible are psychological dramas. And, boy, does that set him his thinking, his whole process, apart from what the traditional church does, because that's not the way it's treated at all. But now that he said that, it's really a it's a very useful way of understanding Neville because now we realize every time he's talking about a Bible verse, he's talking about what he considers to be a psychological drama. Yes. And it becomes another piece of our Neville decoder ring. Right. And I, I do remember him saying at some time, just saying that the Bible was a psychological drama. He did. Okay. Yeah, like as that. a whole. And I remember, hmm. But he's really spelling it out now. It's like, yeah. you know, every like every other story, um, mm -hmm. he's been very clear that he does not consider it to be historical. He doesn't consider it to be literal in any way. It's, right. it's just a drama. Uh, and so very interesting to look at the ideas and see how he puts the puzzle pieces together. And mm. in this case, he is saying that, you know, you have – you have the breath of life in you to breathe life into those desires that you have. And the fact that you have the desire is the confirmation that it can be fulfilled, which I think is always a good reminder. Because sometimes <laughs> people ask me, like, you know, I really, I think I want this. I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm not supposed to have this. Maybe this isn't. And it's like, well, you, but you're sure. desiring. It's okay to want what you want. Yeah. And you're right. People do tend to doubt after a while it doesn't show up so they figure it must be it must be me it must be something wrong with me right or it must not be you know it must not be what's supposed to happen right right, right. yes fate yes it wasn't my right. fate yes exactly but i yeah. i think that conscious creation and fate and and fate are two different streams of belief um they don't they don't play well together no and and i bring this up to a lot of people in coaching because you can believe the you can you can have a practice that's based on fate and there are philosophers that teach that and 
and it can be a solid practice and mm-hmm. you can live a happy life. Uh, it's just a different, it's just a different stream. It's a different path than believing that you have the power to create. Uh, I think you're right. Two, two By the way, Je- Jeffrey raised a, uh, an interesting question. I need it in a humorous way. He says, was Elijah the first life coach? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's a great question. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> I think the first life coach came way before Elijah, though. But Probably, yeah. I like the idea very much so. <laughs> he, he was certainly an early life coach. We, we can give him that much. <laughs> Literally, according to the, 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 uh, the story as it's told, it's actually the psychological drama, but if you take the story literally, then, yeah, he breathed life in. So yeah, he was, he like was a breathing life, life in. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. I didn't go further than this, but, uh, but we certainly have enough time to dive into this next chapter. Yeah, if you'd that's like fine. To. I, um, uh, before you dive in, I want to, I, I've been wanting to make a, a note. I, I was going to do this at the beginning of the podcast, and I forgot to do it. Um, but people will have noticed who are people who are regular subscribers will have noticed that I've reduced the schedule of podcasts for the week from two podcast episodes a day to one per day. And I did explain on Monday and Tuesday about this, but for those who might have missed it, um, the purpose was really, really simple. I needed more time back. It was just that that simple. So we've consolidated the schedule. We have on uh, in some cases People have been brought in from two different podcast shows to, to be on one. So um, a lot of consolidation has taken place. And I'm already, Cindy, I'm already seeing the advantage of it. Although I also am seeing uh, yet another example of how what we might call, it's not muscle memory, it's conscious memory, how, how, how tapes, how, how the subconscious tapes play out. Because literally, for instance, this morning I woke up and I came into the office here to, like I normally do. And... It was about 10 minutes before I realized I didn't have a podcast in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I was so used to doing it that, you know, that I, right. and I wasn't sure what to do with myself. And no, I'm sure that won't last very long. But it was kind of a reminder of just how strong those tapes can be. But I have also seen um, ways that it has taken pressure off of me. So I, uh, while it, it's a little bit disappointing to some people that I'm only doing one a day instead of two per day, I can tell you it's been a big benefit to me. So celebrating for me. That's what I'm doing. Well, <laughs> That's wonderful. I'm celebrating with you. And I know that, you know, when things change, you know, humans hate change. Mm. Right? We we True. don't usually like change. And so when something changes like, you know, that uh immediately there's this fear, and it is fear. You know, stress and mm-hmm. fear are the same thing. Yes. <laughs> stress they is just e- easier to say to people, I'm really stressed out than saying I'm really fearful about this thing happening. But mm-hmm. really, when when change happens, it, it's always an opportunity. Yeah. You know, it's opportunity for other avenues to open up and for things to shift, and shifts are mm-hmm. good. So I think it's going to be great for the podcast, great for you, great for the listeners, because that's what I expect. I so. Yeah. Yeah, I think it will be. And uh, quite honestly, I think that as good as the podcast episodes have been, I think they're going to get better as a result. Because, yeah. you know, when, when you're concentrating everything into a smaller time frame, you have to really be aware. You have to be mindful. You have to use every moment more as if it were more valuable than it was before. Because it is more valuable. Every, every minute is like twice as valuable as it was before. So you've created value, too. Wow. Right. <laughs> it's amazing. Excellent. It is. It is. This conscious creation stuff is so awesome. It is. And it's already paid off, too, uh, with... Um, the assistance that I give to Louise, because this is the beginning of the gardening season. Oh, and there you go. I, that, that was another re- that was a main reason why I wanted to cut down on the amount of time I spent on the podcast, so I could be available to help her with stuff. And indeed, I've been able to do that now. I've actually been able to give her more time to help her with things, and it's helping reduce her fear slash stress level. So yeah, it's it's just one of those things that just has reverberations on and on and on. And it's all good. It is. Perfect. It is. So so I wanted to make sure I let people know, but I, I just want to make sure people were wondering, like, you know, what, so what happened to what the other happened? episode? Where are you? <laughs> yeah, they, they, they didn't disappear into the ether there. That was a deliberate conscious decision. <laughs> so are we ready to talk about Daniel in the lion's den? This should be a good one, huh? I think we are. I think we are, <laughs> yeah. Neville says uh, he starts with 
Daniel 6, 16, Thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. He says the story of Daniel is the story of every man. It's recorded that Daniel, while locked in the lion's den, turned his back upon the hungry beasts, and with his vision turned toward the light coming from above. He prayed to the one and only God. The lions, who were purposely starved for the feast, remained powerless to hurt the prophet. Daniel's faith in God was so great that it finally brought about his freedom and his appointment to a high office in the government of his country. The story was written for you to instruct you in the art of freeing yourself from any problem or prison in the world. Most of us, on finding ourselves in the lion's den, would be concerned only with the lions. We would not be thinking of any other problem in the whole wide world but that of lions. Yet we are told that Daniel turned his back upon them and looked toward the light that was God. If we could follow the example of Daniel while threatened with any dire disaster such as lions, poverty, or sickness, if, like Daniel, we could remove our attention to the light that is God, our solutions would be similarly simple. For example, if you were imprisoned, no man would need to tell you that what you should desire is freedom. Freedom, or rather the desire to be free, would be automatic. The same would be true if you found yourself sick or in debt or in any other predicament. Lions represent seemingly unsoluble situations of a threatening nature. Especially lions that have been starving for a few days. Right? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> right. <laughs> Every problem automatically produces its solution in the form of a desire to be free from the problem. Therefore, turn your back upon your problem and focus your attention upon the desired solution by already feeling yourself to be that which you desire. Continue in this belief and you will find that your prison, your prison wall will disappear as you begin to express that which you have become conscious of being. I have seen people apparently hopelessly in debt apply this principle and in but a very short time, debts that were mountainous were removed. And I've also seen those whom doctors had given up as uncurable apply this principle, and in an incredibly short time, their so-called incurable disease vanished and left no scar. Look upon your desires as the spoken words of God and every word of prophecy of that which you are capable of being. Do not question whether you are worthy or unworthy to realize these desires. Accept them as they come to you. Give thanks for them as though they were gifts. Feel happy and grateful for having received such wonderful gifts, and then go your way in peace. I really feel like this paragraph is so deep and says so much that I really want to read it again and pick <laughs> it apart a little bit. Because he's telling us that we should look upon our desires mm -hmm. as the spoken words of God. And that we should look upon that which we're capable of being as prophecy. That's really powerful. Because we were just talking a minute ago about how sometimes people have a desire for something. And they feel confused because it hasn't come to pass. So they feel confused about whether it's the right desire. Whether they should want this thing. Whether it's even possible to have this thing. Whether maybe it's not the thing for them really and truly. And Neville is saying, see that desire that you have? You can look at that as being a spoken word of God. That thing you want, that desire that you have. Don't question whether you're worthy or unworthy to realize these desires. Accept them as they come to you. And he's talking about accepting the desire, not accepting the manifestation of the desire, which, of course, we want to be able to receive that, too. But he's talking about accepting the desire and giving thanks for the desire as though the desire were a gift. Not the manifestation of it, but the actual desire. Feel happy and grateful for having received these wonderful gifts that, of desire and then go your way in peace. Such simple acceptance of your desires is like the dropping of fertile seed into an ever-prepared soil. When you drop your desire in consciousness as a seed, confident 
that it shall appear in its full-blown potential, you've done all that is expected of you. To be worried or concerned about the manner of their unfoldment is to hold these fertile seeds in a mental grasp and therefore to prevent them from really maturing to full harvest. Don't be anxious or concerned as to results. Results will follow just as surely as day follows night. Have faith in this planting until the evidence is manifest to you that it is so. Your confidence in this procedure will pay great rewards. You wait but a little while in the consciousness of the thing desired, then suddenly, and when you least expect it, the thing felt becomes your expression. Life is no respecter of persons and destroys nothing. It continues to keep alive that which man is conscious of being. Things will disappear only as man changes his consciousness. Deny it if you will. It still remains a fact that consciousness is the only reality and things but mirror that which you are conscious of being. The heavenly state you seek will be found only in consciousness for the kingdom of heaven is within you. Your consciousness is the only living reality, the eternal head of creation. That which you are conscious of being is the temporal body that you wear. To turn your attention from that which you are aware of being is to decapitate that body. But just as a chicken or snake continues to jump and throb for a while after its head has been removed, likewise qualities and conditions appear to live for a while after your attention has been taken from them. (laughs) (laughs) Man, not knowing this law of consciousness, constantly gives thought to his previous habitual conditions, and through being attentive to them, places upon these dead bodies the eternal head of creation, thereby he reanimates and resurrects them. You must leave these dead bodies alone. Let the dead bury the dead. Man, having put his hand to the plow, that is, after assuming the consciousness of the quality desired, by looking back, can only defeat his fitness for the kingdom of heaven. As the will of heaven is ever done on earth, You are today in the heaven that you have established within yourself, for here on this very earth your heaven reveals itself. The kingdom of heaven really is at hand. Now is the accepted time. So create a new heaven, enter into a new state of consciousness, and a new earth will appear. Wow. I really like this chapter. (laughs) He is just loaded, absolutely loaded with stuff. Very powerful. And One thing. Oh, go ahead. No, you first. I was just going to say, one of the things that really stands out to me is, you know, at the at the top of the chapter where we're talking about being thankful for the desires that you have. Because um, I, I know this idea and have begun to experience it in my own life that when I get a desire for something, I get really excited because mm-hmm. I know that thing's coming. So right. when I get a desire for something, I get the same excitement as when as a little child a parent would come in and tell me, guess what? You're going to get whatever. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. That excited. But this idea that he goes on further to talk about, about being anxious or concerned as to the results. And I know he's talking about being anxious or concerned um, that, that maybe the results won't happen, that we won't get the manifestation. But there's a lot of other anxiety and concern that goes into it sometimes as well. Or people be worried about, what if it unfolds this way, right? Well, I ask for a certain thing, and it's like, what if I get it and it goes terribly wrong? Or what if I get it and it ruins my relationship with my family? Or what if I get it and all these things? And here's what needs to happen. The acceptance that, number one, you have the power to get this thing, and the desire of it is the confirmation of that. And if you're so powerful that you can desire something and manifest it if it manifests in a way that you're not delighted with then manifest something else (laughs) exactly when we begin to get to the place where we can manifest like that then that's not an issue and unless you can get past those ideas you never will get to the place where you can manifest like that True. Because those anxieties and concerns about how it unfolds are always going to block you from manifesting whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. So the recognition that I heard somebody say one time a long time ago, so funny, 
said, if you manifest something that you don't want, just give it back. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It's a nice way to phrase it, too. Right? Basically, so you, just because you asked me. Like, oh, lots of stuff, actually. Um, just, finish your thought. Just, just because uh, you manifested something that came out different from what you wanted to doesn't mean you give up. It just means, oops, I missed the mark. I'm going to try again. Exactly. <laughs> it's the true meaning of, of what sin really is. Um, yeah, there, there were a number of things that caught my attention, particularly in that uh, section that you kind of skimmed over and reread again earlier on. There was one thing that was really very apropos as far as I was concerned, and it ties in directly to the Daniel story. Um, I'm going to go back and, and read like two or three sentences here. He says, every problem automatically produces its solution in the form of a desire to be free from the problem. Therefore, turn your back upon the problem and focus your attention upon the desired solution. Boy, does that sound familiar. Yes, it does. I mean, how many, how many modern <laughs> LON teachers teach us that? And that's exactly what Daniel does. Daniel turns his back on the problem and focuses on the solution. And what he was going through there, this, this metaphysical, this, this um, metaphorical Daniel is facing what so many of us face, the, the seemingly impossible situation. He's in a seemingly impossible situation. How could he possibly survive this? Now, for us, usually, it isn't so much whether we can survive it. It's simply, I'm facing the need to focus on something that seems so far away from where I am right now that it's impossible. I can't see how to do it. I'm in such a depressed state, and I need to get to happiness, and I can't get there. It's too far away. I, I am in a state of lack, and I can't hardly even see the state of having it, let alone having ever experienced it. I don't know how to get there. Um, and we have some wonderful solutions people give. I mean, Abraham Hicks with the Emotional Guidance Scale, they recommend taking one step at a time. It works great. It's an excellent approach. But what Neville's doing here is he's saying, well, there actually is a way you can just bridge the gap. You just simply turn your back on the problem because the thing is, when we focus on the problem, always get all we get is more problem. So you turn your back on the problem, you start looking for solution. And when you start looking for a solution, well, first of all, you can't see the problem anymore because you just turned your back on it. And second of all, when you start looking for a solution, the universe starts delivering it to you because now you're focusing on solution, even if you don't know what the solution is. Right. You know what I love about it, too, is that is that Daniel, in the story, and I'm not saying that we take the story literally, but if we look at the story, what it's literally telling us is that he turned his back. Right. Yes. He physically turned his body and exactly. put his back to the lions. So it's like he he is pivoting with he is with his body. He pivoted away. So it's such an accurate description of what we're talking about. It's such a great metaphor mm -hmm. is that he it pivoted is. and looked the other way. And one of the things uh, I was telling someone yesterday, something that I've an exercise I've given to clients before to help them be able to, you know, we have stuff happen in life and we have stuff happen that we don't want, right? We have contrast. And it's a, it's a wonderful skill to be able to, to step back and observe what's happening from the, the standpoint of just being the witness, right? Just observation. So we go into observing mode and that's where we can say, okay, it is what it is. This thing is happening. This, I got this bad news or whatever it is here. And, but we don't get emotional. We don't have a reaction. We don't, we're able to, and I, what I said to them was they were talking about a specific situation they've been encountering and that they were kind of proud of themselves because they've been able to just witness it without getting entangled in it. Right. And I told them this, sometimes when you find yourself in that position, you can physically take a little step back. Like no one else has to even notice that you've done it. But it's, it's that somatic power in your body, the body of moving your body back. It's a message to yourself that I'm just stepping back into this place of the observer. I don't have to be all emotionally entangled in this. I don't have to let it control me or rule me. Uh, I can just step back. And I love thinking about that because Daniel physically pivoted. And did not did not look at what was going on with the lions. Uh, so 
just we can do that. We can do the same exact thing. Focus on what it is we want. It doesn't mean that we have to totally ignore what's going on, but we can look at what's happening as just as a witness. I mean, Daniel knew the lions were there, uh, but he obviously wasn't getting emotionally involved. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. And, and even if we do for a moment get emotionally involved, I mean, sometimes it's useful. Sometimes if we've got something that's been hanging around for a long time that's emotionally upsetting us and holding us back, okay, for a moment we have to let go of it. We have to release it and express it and so forth. But that doesn't mean we have to just stay focused on the lions all the time. Once we have gotten rid of the emotion, then we can turn the back. I mean, it's not like it has to last a whole lot of time, okay? Right. Yep. And all our right. emotions. So I'm afraid of those lions, okay? Well, I just expressed my fear of the lions. Now I can turn my back. <laughs> we we can do the same thing with emotions. In yeah. other words, I never want to to encourage anyone to ignore their emotions or their feelings because that's our GPS. Right. Um, but we can witness them. That's a different kind of thing than being caught up in them. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. Um, I want to also uh, recognize, uh, I, I see there's a, a new listener name that I hadn't seen before, Jennifer, connecting from Hong Kong. So I want to say hello, Jennifer, and thank you for joining us. And wow. And what you're seeing. I love it. We have people from all over the world, and, and when somebody comes in, from someplace around the world that uh, is relatively new for us because we haven't seen that particular destination show up on the live stream. I always like to, to recognize it because it's fun. Right. So welcome from Hong yeah, Kong. Very, very, very welcome. Um, and a lot of conversation going on, really good conversation. Uh, Jamie made a really interesting point. She said, yes, awareness is the creator. So to focus awareness on what we do want is to create that experience of reality. And that's it in a nutshell right there. Exactly. That's it. That's yeah. it. Um, now, there was another piece of this chapter. There are a lot of pieces of this chapter that are worthy of attention because he has so much packed in here. But there's one in particular I wanted to focus on. I'm trying to find it right here. It was it was in the rather gross part where he's talking about cutting off the head of a chicken or, or a snake or whatever. <laughs> right. It <laughs> wasn't particularly a fun part to read. But um, where was it? It's toward the end of it. He says... Um, you must leave these dead bodies alone and let the dead bury the dead. And we, we hear the dead bury the dead, so we kind of focus on that. But I like the first part. You must leave them alone. I mean, these these things that you're leave that that he's suggesting that you leave alone. Once again, it's metaphorical. You know, it's a uh, it, it's a psychological metaphor that he's talking about here. And the thing that he's asking you to leave alone is the past. He's saying leave the past alone. Don't you don't keep going back there. You know, it's not like you have to keep going back there. Now, there are many people who are constantly focused on past events and not realizing that they're constantly focusing on it and that, therefore, they're constantly focusing on it. makes it feel like that they can't get rid of it. And, indeed, that's what therapy is for, and that's what for you know various methods are for. SRT is for that. Uh, tapping is for that. There's a whole lot of things that you can do to address that kind of thing. But the bottom line is, at some point, you have to leave the dead bodies alone. Right. You just have to say, you know what? I'm going to leave them. I'm just done with them. And that's the goal. That's the goal of therapy. That's the goal of SRT. That's the goal of EFT. That's the goal of every single process I've ever heard of for leaving the stuff behind or, or rewriting the tapes or however you want to express it. But basically just saying, at some point, I'm done. It's kind of like what my wife talks about when she tells me that uh, both as a therapist and as a client to a therapist, because that's what most therapists and coaches tend to do. They also have their own therapists and coaches. Um, she believed very strongly in the idea of grow or go, which is very much the opposite of what many therapists do. A lot of therapists actually want you to stay with them forever because then now they got a solid income. But the true therapist, the true coach, and I know this is true for you too, yes. wants to have the client grow or go. Well, growing means leaving it behind. It means leaving the dead bodies alone. Yeah. So yeah, even though it's kind of a gross metaphor, you got to do it. You got to level. You got to leave them alone at some point. Neville talks so much about consciousness and identity, right? Yes. It's like who we perceive ourselves to be, and so we have to get to that place where we can leave those things behind, because otherwise we're remaining to be the same person the same identity. We have the same conscious perception of ourselves that 
that's experienced the same sad things. And the person that we want to be is the person that has left that behind. So we have to be able to bring ourselves to the place. And if we keep growing, that is exactly where the place we come to, where we are able to step into the identity of a person who's not struggling with those things anymore. It doesn't mean we haven't experienced them. I've experienced a lot of things, and I, I tell people that I'm very open about it. I've written, you know, books and articles about that I was in an abusive marriage and that I've experienced certain things. But the truth is that I can look back at those things now, and that's not who I am now. I am mm. not that. I'm not that person now. I'm in a wonderful, fabulous marriage now. So. I'm, I'm a different person. I've had those experiences, and they did help form who I am today. But I haven't hung on to those things. But you know that takes that takes some some effort, some work, and and desire. If you have the desire to not be struggling with things in your past, that desire look at it as if it were the spoken word of God telling you that you don't have to struggle and 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 you're right you are you you are a different person um i also like to point out you're also the same person you're the same person you always were but you're a person who grew and that's the key you grew you didn't just stay stuck you decide you know what stuck is not where i want to be i want to grow i want to keep getting bigger and better and you know the better city that i can be that's that's what you decided to do and boy have you done it we're so glad that you have (laughs) because Contributing so much to the podcast, and and it's it's really wonderful. I want to remind people who are not yet subscribers to the podcast, you can see what you get, and all the shows are different. They all give you really great information and entertainment and and just, you know, good camaraderie and and your daily dose of happy because that's what we're really all about. If you're not yet a subscriber, please become one. It's very simple to do. Uh, You'll find in almost all the places that we publish this, you'll find links. But if you can't find the links, to subscribe, just go to the homepage of our website at LOAToday.net, and right at the top of the page, you'll see this great big block of text that you can click on, and that one will actually walk you through how to become a subscriber. It just walks you right through the process. And then when you're done, of course, make sure that as you're listening to the episodes or even watching them, if you're watching the video form, uh, that you're sharing, that you're telling other people on social media that you are a fan of LOA Today and that you like this particular episode and they got to check out what the devil had to say about Liquid Light and about uh, um, <laughs> Daniel and the Lion's Den. I mean, you got to share that kind of stuff because that's how people find out. So please subscribe and share. We really appreciate it when you do that. And before we leave, also, Cindy, tell people how they reach out to Cindy, the magnificent life coach. and. Oh. and uh, Touch her, they, her life and, and get some touching back. <laughs> they can uh, they can reach out to me at my website, cindychavez.com. It's C-I-N-D-I-E-C-H-A-V-E-Z. I would love to hear from you. Come give me a shout out. Say hello. <laughs> it is great. We love it when we hear from listeners. We love it when we have new members of the uh, live stream audience, and we were getting that today, so I'm thankful for that as well. Um, one, can, can you leave us with one thought? What's the one thought that, that – kind of summarizes these three chapters that we read today. The most important thing to take away. The most important thing to take away is that you have the power within you to bring your desires into manifestation. That's it. That's it, in a nutshell. Yeah, and all the rest of it is learning how to believe that that is true. (laughs) Yeah, it is true. You got it. You, You were born with everything you needed already to create the things you want to create. And it's exciting. It's good stuff. Because as that growth happens, I'm, that, that's where growth comes from. It comes from learning how to do exactly that. It learns how, it, it, it comes from learning how to be the best we can be, to borrow the old cliche. It, 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 it comes from that growth. That growth is where we learn how to be the deliberate creators we've always wanted to be. And then, guess what? The abundance comes. <laughs> and that's the best part. Yeah. Because now we're really alive. That's where Automatic. life happens. Yep. Good stuff. <laughs> So thank you very much, Cindy. I, I always love Neville Day, and I'm so glad we thank had you. another one. I look forward to doing next week's Neville Day, where we'll, chap- we'll, we'll, we'll tackle Chapter 22 and probably Chapter 23. It's great. We're going because we're, we're flying through it. In fact, we're running out of chapters. I think it's 28 chapters in the book. So we're, oh, we're almost close. there. Yeah, we're almost <laughs> at the end there. So, but that's okay. There are other books. We'll get there. <laughs> so thank you for, for doing that. Thank you to our live stream listeners. Thank you also to our podcast listeners. That's where most people are listening anyway. We really appreciate all of you. And we will see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone.